0: Hello. As it was mentioned, my name is Dan Chung. I am Executive Director of Crossing Borders, and it is an absolute privilege to be sharing God's word with you today, as well as telling you about some of the things God has been doing through crossing borders. The passage we'll be studying today is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I will be reading from the ESV. That's Ephesians 2. through ten it says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is a gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them amen Again, it is my privilege to share with you today, and I'm sharing God's Word with you from just outside of Chicago, and more specifically, in my basement. (laughs) It's very odd uh, to be preaching to people that I have never seen in person, and doing this makes me long for the day we can meet face-to-face if the Lord wills. I hope that is so. I wanted to share with you the story of how I started helping North Korean refugees through Crossing Borders and share with you also how God has been using my vocation to help me understand what the Bible says about work and ultimately to draw me closer to Him. So first, I want to share with you the work that Crossing Borders is engaged in, the work that you have been faithfully supporting for a little over a year now. Thank you. Though our official start date was January 1st, 2003, the story of crossing borders starts in 2001, when my best friend from college, Mike Kim, decided to take a missions trip out to Northeast China to see what was happening in the underground church there. He wasn't expecting it, but on that trip, he met several North Korean refugees. Now, neither of us had any idea what conditions were like in North Korea. We vaguely heard of the famine that occurred there in the late 1990s when we were at the University of Illinois. So these encounters came as a complete shock to him. He came back and told me stories of the people that he met. He showed me some videos that he snuck out. And he told me a story of a little girl in her teens who had escaped the North Korean famine. She went to china to seek refuge but what she got was the exact opposite of refuge you see china and north korea are allies and because of this china has agreed to make it as difficult as possible for north korean refugees in china they are not offered refugee status in fact they are given no protections at all and in fact it is legal to murder a north korean in china according to the many interviews that I have conducted of North Koreans and the people who work to protect them. It has led to the mass sale of North Korean women in China to fill the gender deficit left by the one-child policy. And this little girl that Mike told me about was in her teens, but because of the effects of starvation, she looked like she was nine years old, and they sold her too. I was completely floored. I couldn't sleep for days. And I couldn't believe this was happening in this day and age. 20 years later, I can honestly say that I'm still shaken by this. Crossing Borders began in 2003 when Mike packed his two duffel bags and bought a one-way ticket to China, not knowing exactly what he was going to do. I said I would help him uh, and for about nine years I volunteered for Crossing Borders. I believed in what we were doing so much but in my working life, I sort of bounced around until I found journalism. Um, in 2012, I was asked to come on full time and guide the organization, which at the time was struggling. Last year, we expanded our help for refugees who make it through what is known as the modern day Underground Railroad into Southeast Asia, where these poor people will receive refugee status. Most of these people choose to make South Korea their new home and we set up a shelter for abused North Korean women in South Korea last year. Many of these women suffer spousal abuse and need respite, but many also volunteer to join South Korea's sex industry because they think they simply have no other options to make money. My job with Crossing Borders is fulfilling But it's difficult work. It is not easy reading reports over and over again of tremendous suffering and hardship. But God has used this work to sanctify me and help me better understand how He sees work and in turn, how I should see work. I think Ephesians 2 gives a wonderful picture of how we should see our work. I have three main points. The first... I want to talk about our broken relationship with work. Second, how we should see our work. And third, how Jesus can give us the strength to carry on in our work. So let's go. Let's talk about our broken relationship with work. Verses 8 and 9 lay out plainly that we are saved by God's grace alone. In Paul's day, people thought that they could work their way into heaven by doing good things for the poor, their church, And for their neighbors. And Paul plainly dispels this notion. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. There isn't much room for interpretation in these words, and if you have been going to church for any amount of time, I am sure you have been taught this over and over again. I'm sure you know that we cannot work our way into heaven. But in our day, we often use our work as a sort of justification for our existence. What's one of the first questions you ask a person when you meet them? What do you do for work? I do this too. It is an efficient way to get to know someone and we spend a good t- amount of time at work so it's a useful bit of information. But. What I have been guilty of is, for myself, as I answer this question, is to use this question as a justification for my soul. I secretly love it when people ask me this question, What do you do, Dan? Well, when I tell them, the response is usually extremely positive. (laughs) Oh, sure. I try to act humble and I try not to dwell on myself too long, but after a while, I started to believe what people would tell me wow good for you they would say and my heart would use this as justification i must be good i must be a good person i'd secretly say to myself i must not be as bad as most other people and honestly my spiritual life suffered i wasn't as close to the lord for some of the years that i've been doing this work because of this question It's fine to ask people this question, but when we use it to assign virtue, status, and measure the whole person themselves, not only is this wrong, but it is an extremely inaccurate measure of the character of a person. Are all doctors smart? Are all teachers patient? Are all pastors virtuous? I know yours are, I'm sure. And the opposite is true too. I used to live in New York City in my wandering years, and I was really insecure about my career in such a career-driven city. When people would ask me what I did for work back then, I'd say, oh, I'm just an admin. I was committing the same sin of attributing my self-worth to my vocation. Brothers and sisters, using our jobs to either make ourselves look good to people Or to do the opposite is totally wrong. Our identity should be that we are saved by the grace of God alone, full stop. Paul says that our salvation is a gift of God and not a result of works. Why? It says, so no one may boast. We cannot use the work that we do as a measure of ourselves or anyone else. And this brings me to my second point. Well then, how should I see my work? Paul answers this question in verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice that Paul uses the word works. It's plural. What does this mean? It means that we are not called to one mission or one task. This means that this executive director of an organization helping people all the way on the other side of the world is also to work for the good of the Chicago area. It means along, that along with saving the lives of North Korean refugees in a dangerous area, I am also called to take out the garbage and do the laundry and to unclog toilets and to change diapers. God gives us a lot of different things that we need to do, and too many times we look for one grand mission in life, one grand calling. We are told that our lives are special and that our lives should be extraordinary. On social media, we are bombarded with images of people living these remarkable lives and doing really important things, and we can easily get a sense that we have somehow missed something in life when we, are, when we compare ourselves to them. Whether you are grinding away at your company, taking care of an ill parent, working at your family business, a student, a retiree, a pastor, or executive director of Crossing Borders, I want to say to us all that in each of these circumstances, that your life, that our lives, and our work matters. In each of these situations and seasons, God gives us works to do, and God ordains the tasks that we must complete that day, and we should be satisfied and content with these tasks, no matter how mundane. Paul says that God prepared beforehand the works that we have to do today. Well, You might be saying, Isn't it easy for Dan Chung, the executive director of a really meaningful job, to say that? To be fulfilled in your job? And I admit, I have a pretty awesome job, in which I do find meaning and purpose. But believe it or not, there are things about this job that I don't love. We do have donors who get mad at us. I do have to go to our storage unit often (laughs) and move boxes. I have to stuff envelopes, not like tens of them, but like hundreds of them from time to time. And I need to see that all of these things are also from the Lord and that I too need to do the little and hard things of my job with joy. I recently found this thought comforting. Jesus Christ himself, before his spectacular, world-disrupting three years in ministry, worked as, as a carpenter under his father Joseph. For 30 years, Jesus worked humbly in his father's wood shop. And if indeed Jesus was without sin, then he did this work completely contented and happy. Isn't that an amazing thought? That Jesus not only didn't think he was too good for this work, but he actually enjoyed it. The one who formed the universe in his hand and wrote the laws of space and time spent most of his life on earth in his father's wood shop. That's amazing. God predestined this work for Jesus as well. And I believe that Jesus did it well and without complaint. Let's also remember that the author of this passage, the Apostle Paul, was literally a tent maker. The guy who could form complex thoughts that would baffle theologians and philosophers alike for thousands of years to come supported himself by stitching together fabric for tents. How are you feeling about the work that you do? Are you completely fulfilled? Or are you like me? And there are things that you like and dislike. Let me tell you that they are all predestined for you to complete by God himself. Take comfort in this. Verse 10 also tells us that we are not defined by our works, success, or failure. Works as in possessive, plural. Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does it mean to walk in our works? I believe that he is saying this as a point of emphasis, that we should be active in doing the work that God has put in front of us. He doesn't say we should walk them to perfection. He doesn't say that we should make things perfect so that we can be the envy of our neighborhood or friend group. You know, I work with damaged people with a lot of trauma. Think about where these people come from. North Korea is a nation built on lies. The biggest one being that their founder, Kim Il-sung, is a god, and so is his son and grandson. The three Kims have built a cult of personality unlike the world has ever seen. The youngest and current one, Kim Jong-un, has been shying away from his this godlike stature, but he is still revered by his country, and Kim Il-sung is still considered a god, and he's still considered eternal president of the country. That's his literal title. There are books written about him that children have to study, and that the North Korean people must read on a regular basis. And each week, every citizen must go to a small group where they confess any wrong thoughts they had against Kim Il-sung and his regime. During the great North Korean famine in the late 1990s, where up to three million people perished, North Korea told its people that they still lived in paradise on earth. Oh, they said, We know it's hard for you today, but it's much worse everywhere else. And with no access to outside information, this is what the people of North Korea believed. So when these people leave their country and realize that their whole lives are pretty much built on a lie, you could imagine the spiritual void that most North Koreans have. For those who have made it to South Korea, they are often clinically depressed, suicidal, and not able to function in a modern economy. And it's my job to help these people. And when I have sat with them and ate with them, when I have cried with them and worshiped with them, I cannot help but wish for good things for them. I wish that their lives would improve in a very worldly sense. I wish for certain outcomes in their lives. I want to share with you a story but one of the refugees we recently helped at our new shelter for abused women in South Korea called Ellum House. We'll call her Kathy. She was found on a bridge. Kathy was found on a bridge over the Han River in Seoul. And she was about to jump. And the police and authorities rescued her just in time and brought her to Ellum House. For weeks, our missionaries poured their love into Kathy and eventually, Kathy professed Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Praise the Lord. She was literally on the brink of death, but she was brought to life again in Christ Jesus. Happy ending, right? Not exactly. Because a few weeks later, we welcomed another woman into our home. We will call her Eunice. Eunice was not like Kathy who had absolutely nothing, Eunice had some money saved up. And Kathy saw this. She convinced Eunice to keep the money in a not-so-safe place, unbeknownst to any of us. And when Eunice went out one day, the money and Kathy, unfortunately, disappeared. We were devastated, and it took our missionaries and staff a while to recover from the hurt they felt towards Kathy. So did we do our job? What was the point in all that after the pain and hurt subsided we saw this as something that clarified our mission for this place our our goals for kathy were simple one to share the gospel with her and two to give her a place to stay that she can heal did we do that absolutely look we cannot ensure that their lives the lives of North Korean refugees will have happy endings. This world is chaotic. We are only called to walk in the work that God has put in front of us. Isn't that comforting? So parents, I'm a parent too. I have three children of my own. It is not up to us to make sure our kids are successful and happy. We must do our best to raise our children in the Lord, yes, but we cannot control very much else. Eventually it is their responsibility to live their lives for the Lord and you should not feel like a failure if your children don't turn out the way you envision them or aren't turning out the way you envision them. It is also not your job to make them a believer. It is ultimately their choice. We are not defined by whether our good works are successful or not. The point is that we are given this great task to do by the Lord and we must walk in these tasks. Brothers and sisters, in this world, we will never find our jobs to be complete. Something will always happen to ruin the work that we have done. A competitor will always come and undercut you. Your children will always have some problem that they must face. We must look elsewhere for fulfillment and joy in this world, which is the last thing I want to talk about. Verse 10 says something spectacular. Paul says that we are God's workmanship. What does this mean? The first thing that it means is that God gives us works to do. He is working on us as he gives us works to do and God uses our work to refine us. God uses our work to show us the state of our relationship with Him like He did for me, and how we view Him. And He has clearly done that for me and for many of you. Second, it means that God loves us enough to work on us. Think about it. The God of the universe, the one who created all the beauty that we see on earth, the stunning vistas, that we save our penny to go gaze upon. The God who created such beauty is working on us. You are not only a reflection of him, you are chosen by him and he chose you so that he can make you beautiful. He's working on you. Finally, I wanna say that his work on us begins and ends upon the cross. One of the most frustrating things about our work here on earth is that it is seemingly never-ending. It's like a -a whack-a-mole, isn't it? You bop one on the head and another one rears its head. It's exhausting. On the cross, Jesus exclaimed, it is finished. What that means for us is that we can revel in Christ's completed work for us on the cross. We can enjoy the peace and joy and meaning in his work and not our own. In the cross, we find a completion of God's perfect promise to us, and because this work is complete, we no longer have to think about our justification. We no longer have to try to convince people or ourselves why we matter. The cross is 100% proof that we do indeed matter. God himself chose to die for you. For you, it is finished. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your promise. And we thank you for what you have communicated through the Apostle Paul. God, we do not have to struggle and fight to justify to anyone who we are. Because by your death on the cross, you have proved to us who you are. And you have shown to us why you love us or how you love us so much. We thank you for this time today. I pray that you would use this word to encourage Christ's central Presbyterian church to glorify your name through whatever task you have given them today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And God bless.